0: This episode is sponsored by a donor to the Chinese Culture Foundation of San Francisco. The foundation was founded in 1965 and opened its primary program site, the Chinese Culture Center, or CCC, in 1973. CCC is one of the leading and most prominent cultural and arts institutions in the city of San Francisco. The mission of the CCC is dedicated to elevating underserved communities and giving voice to equality through education and contemporary art. Their work is based in Chinatown and San Francisco's open and public spaces and other art institutions. Visit cccsf.us On this episode, we have Jessica chin Fo. Jessica was born in the U.S. but migrated back with her family to French Polynesia and grew up on the island of Tahiti. She studied in the U.S. and staying true to the entrepreneurial lineage of her family has been involved in a number of different activities that embrace her passion. These include being advisor to ministers in the French Polynesian government, hosting clean tech conferences, running a vineyard, and also managing a nonprofit called Freedom for Hunger that took her to Mali in Africa, where she was trapped for 10 days in a coup d'etat and witnessed mass casualties prior to her escape. She turned to her love of painting and yoga in order to heal from PTSD. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on our show.
1: Yeah, thanks Asim for having me. I'm um really feeling uh honored to be here and share my story.
2: Jessica, I've always been fascinated with your background. Uh take us back. You were you were born in French Polynesia. Share about that and your family.
1: So actually that's something I so I was raised in Tahiti, French Polynesia, but I was actually born in Louisiana. Yeah, it was it was a journey for my parents. So I was born there. My dad was uh, graduated from like Stasboul's, um culinary school. So he was a chef already in French Polynesia and he wanted to open up a restaurant actually in San Diego, California. And my mom had her green card already. Um, so uh, both my parents from Tahiti, French Polynesia, we moved there. It was their first round at living together and you know how relationships and things and, and things didn't work out as well so then we all moved back to tahiti uh french polynesian and i grew up with my grandparents so my mom's parents um in tahiti and um was raised there throughout uh high school so my family are um so i'm like the third um generation of Chinese Hakka um, that immigrated to Tahiti. And uh, my great grandfather was a philanthropist at heart. Um, he came from China, went to San Francisco for the gold rush in the late 1800s. Um, there were already a community of Hakka um, workers going to French Polynesia, so he saw um, opportunity for commerce. He already had commerce that he left. Um, in china and so when he arrived in tahiti really built the community supporting uh the chinese workers started different commerce the first um bank of um of french polynesia uh there and so uh, and this
2: was all in uh
1: yes and this was in Papete, yeah Mm -hmm. so um we're yeah part of the you know, first, uh, immigrants there. So growing up as a third generation, um, not having a Chinese passport, anything, you know, speaking the dialect, but not really able to read or, or or write it. Uh, French is my first language. Um, but, uh, my grandfather went to France. Um, he actually served as well for, um, the resistance at some point went to Berkeley. Um, and my mom went to sacramento so after high school i went to uh college in davis um california which is where uh, my family already had a uh, property there as well so my choice was either uh, the us or paris <laughs> <laughs> so
2: it's yeah, quite uh, a, a, a fork to choose between and uh yeah davis and paris um, there's yeah a bit of a difference but, uh, <laughs> right so the uh the grandparents that raised you are they still with you
1: my grandmother is uh my grandfather passed about eight years ago um but yeah
2: share with us a little bit about uh their influence on your life
1: there, um, yeah, so so my grandfather followed his dad's uh, steps. He was an entrepreneur at heart, an investor. You know, invested. He was very much a farmer. He so because he saw the war, he saw he grew up with his father that had a lot of a lot of different businesses. Um, he helped them with the first uh, oil a distillery in in Tahiti, which now is got purchased by the government. Um, started a soap business, you know, had uh, a farm, like a pig farm, had a lot, you know, started one of a recording companies. So he always had all of those businesses and and growing up with him, you know, I would be around, you know, they had their apiho time or cocktail time, you know, around like after coming back from tennis, he would have his friends and they would all, you know, be mingling and talking about business and all that stuff. And, um, and that was always inspiring to hear those stories and um, you know so, so from that side, I had a lot of um, you know openness, like knowing that I could do a lot of things right and then people would come as well and ask for him you know his support, whether it was on the nonprofit side he was always giving back um, to the Chinese community or uh, to different like the Lions Club or other um, he, he was part of um. And um, and my mom uh, also followed his steps, so she uh, has her own business, so uh, travel, uh, luxury travel business. And um, that uh, also inspired me in that way of being very entrepreneurial, uh, being able to know that I can do anything really that my heart feels that I can, right, so, uh, or wants to do. And then my mo- grandmother was very, is, is very caring. She was the, um, the, the one that kept the fort in terms of comfort, food, um, uh, you know, uh, tackling with like, uh, the gardener, the, the pool mate, you know, the, making sure that the, 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 the. The property was um,
2: very much the CEO of the household.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Like in (laughs) that way, but also uh, brought me into um, loving cooking, you know, from my mom and uh, from my grandmother and my dad, like being in the kitchen, seeing what you could do, pretty big tables for lunch and and dinner. So pretty much like a tribal um, aspect in that way, where my uncle, my cousins would come and... Mm. um, And so that was very nice to to be able to feel part of that community um, and and love and support. So um, I I, I think that really also um, shaped the way that I am. I'm a social person, but enabled that intelligence of how to be social with different people, different ages, um, and and still staying um, true to my core self and the value that I have. That's
2: great. That's really great. Um, yeah. Jessica, what did you study at Davis?
1: So I studied. So my mom wanted me to do business, right? She was like, "You're gonna do business. You're gonna take over the businesses and all that stuff." And I was like, "Well, you know," and 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 I tackled, "Can I be an artist?" She was like, "Artist? You want uh, what? What will you do? You'll you'll be like a." thriving poor artists and when you pass that's when you know like the thing that when I was little I was like oh really and we had like she had cousins that were art artists you know and and that had I mean my great uncles or whatever um, and aunts that are writers and some that are painters but she never really you know because I think my family were very much into business like assets and, and things like that it wasn't really seen as a profession you know and um in that space of creativity which now you could see I still want to be involved but the way I get involved is being a board member of a nonprofit that you know has mission in art or I paint myself I did do that um uh, I did take that journey but it took uh you know I probably sold like five pieces and made like 1500 you know <laughs> which is not gonna take me anywhere but it was it was a fun process it was definitely something um i would revisit in the, my maybe my later years but um but to go back to your question i did uh managerial economics so bachelor measure economics still having that core of uh, business but uh i emphasized in agriculture um uh, environment and natural resources because coming from Tahiti and I was a diver I really saw you know that was in 2000 you know before I, I came um, or coming to the U.S. but I was a diver I saw a lot of the changes that El um, Nino was having the you know the fluctuation and the coral bleaching and just um, being more aware of all the waste that we were having you know and and so i wanted to be cognizant of how um better treat fisheries better treat natural resources so you know and and having that economical value that you know to the core of the business so it was um that's what i yeah graduated no, I- with
2: I love that because it, um, especially given how your family was involved with um, the oil refineries and and to have that mission is really thoughtful and balanced. And I think that's fantastic. And uh, so thanks for for sharing that. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking about your grandfather and how philanthropic he was and his uh, emphasis on helping nonprofits in the community. And I I see this very much in, in you. And so I'd love for you to chat about freedom from hunger. Uh, was that shortly after college?
1: No, actually, it was a, a journey of uh, before heading to Freedom from Hunger. So I assisted. I, I went into startup, I first startup that was in their Series A stage in uh, Real Tech, and I was a web marketing consultant uh, in 2004. I was, you know, it was it was during the boom um, of uh, of websites and and, and Google just you know getting really big and i mean getting there um not as big as now but um where you you didn't have any um robots or crawlers or anything or ai that was looking at the meta tags and the key tags it was just getting a website and um getting out there so i was uh consulting uh realtors and brokers on how to you know utilize because there was just a database the mls from um uh, the different states that were giving access to the properties that are listed. So enabling technology really for um, that market. So that was very fascinating. Uh, after that, I, uh, yeah, I, I did so much stuff. Um, see myself uh, being an entrepreneur, seeing something, a passion and then going for it. Um, I, I did uh, m scouting for uh, enterprise clients, for enterprise groups, French groups under the French Trade Commission, um, as well as showcasing the French expertise in and in, in the energy and um, environment space um, in the U.S. So, um, and that was right after I, I got my MBA from um, NY um, New York Institute of Technology. So that. Uh, then I got a position as a trade advisor for the minister of energy in Tahiti because I was already showcasing France and having all of this network and really passionate about clean tech Um, and and not only scouting innovation but uh, connecting the investors to actually follow on and then the country of Tahiti wanted to have pilots of those so really because I when I went back to Tahiti I was like guys we need to get clean tech more and my mom and uncle who was in the space as well like doing a luxury um, um uh, travel uh, yeah a luxury resort that's focused oh. on um clean energy so 100 percent clean uh-huh. okay. but luxurious um was uh utilizing all of this technology and he was telling me the hurdles that he was having because you know you have to go scout that innovation it was not so prominent and i was like what's up we should have pilots the you know the uh, so basically it was a conference to lobby a little bit the politicians in tahiti to get them to have more solar um more what you know uh, pilots on 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 wave uh energy um and uh yeah so that was uh after that conference that i hosted um the minister of energy was like i want you as an advisor in my cap you know in my office so i was like all right
2: congrats yeah
1: yeah so that was a you know as a woman i was the only technical advisor in there um with you know uh Uh, master degree and women just in general it was very very um a a very macho kind of environment so it was very difficult um but you know we passed on different laws i was able to close some contracts having the french agency come in um and uh and support not only the energy space but the environment space that was great but the government the politicians you know Changed, you know. At that time, it was very unstable in Tahiti, and there was a switch of political parties. So the president um, got c- censorship, and you know, another one rolled over. And at that time, I was so um, I, I was still in my uh, space of giving, but I didn't want to give in a way where politics would come in. So you know, I looked at opportunities that were still giving back, but on the nonprofit side, and that's where I uh, came in non um freedom from hunger so um i was in charge of the financial report for a mastercard foundation grant on integrating microfinance services to youth in the pilot testing were in ecuador and in Mali, um which was great you know it was looking at how kids i mean teens you know at 13 year old they are already facing those very critical um and, and sometimes they already have a household right there's yeah. kids that are already bearing uh, kids of their own at 13 yeah. and um being in charge uh financially um mentally and, and physically of of others and and the, and being a support to the family
2: yeah they have to grow know? up very fast in those jobs. yeah
1: Oh yeah, it was it was it was it was very eye opening for me to go in those places, and that was the first time that I really went to regions that were touched by chronic hunger, um, that were making less than a dollar a day. So many of the um, interviews that I had had lost someone or more to uh, to that disease, which. Yeah. And then, and then I was the one visiting and I had my $35 bottle, you know, medicine. I was like, oh, if I could just give them all away. You know, it's kind of that part. But at the same time, it doesn't move the needle. You know, right. how do we, you know, and that's where uh, integrated microfinance services, I think, do.
2: Yes, right. And so you spent a significant amount of time in both Ecuador and Mali. Uh,
1: mostly in Mali uh, because I'm French. Um, so that was, that was you know, the part I would go um, couple times, um, like yeah, couple weeks at a time. Um, but the last time I went, I was actually stuck uh, there uh, because there was the coup d'état that happened, which um, was in 2012. And um, right when Qaddafi left, right, he sold all of his weapons to the Tuareg, and then the Tuareg, um, which was the tribe up north of Mali, was. Uh, building resistance and and coming back down to the south. So the government of Mali was recruiting a lot of the Malian civilians in the villages and whatnot that were not really having that buy-in of wanting to be a military, but they were kind of forced. Mm To join, and so a revolution basically arose from those military that were like, well, you know, no, we're not going to follow the government. And so at that time, I was in the field, and I remember vividly, you know, on the radio and the translator, and the other one was like, oh my god, something's happening. I was like, what's going on? And there's like um, the militaries are uh, rising up in Kati, which was like just like an hour away where I was. I was already in the field for the day you know, so I would drive out, or I mean, with the driver and translator from Bamako to the field each day, back and forth, which was like a couple hours of driving. And I was like, Oh, my God, what do we do? (laughs) You know, Um,
2: like a scary scenario to be in.
1: So scary. I mean, I never thought, and my mom was like, see, like giving, (laughs) she's, like you you have these ideas of going and helping people, and then what do you get? but I never thought about the uh, harmful the war aspect of things. Um, I never made that link, which then created for me actually I had a mental. Uh, issue I got PTSD from it I was and that's where I was like wow the mind is really trippy because I wouldn't hear gunshot so basically I saw people dying gunshots you know I was held uh, there was a tank you know and kids They were like 15 16 we had to smuggle out of the car that I had because people were stealing SUVs I had to go in those old old Mercedes go through thank god I look Chinese because there were already a lot of Chinese I mean Asian Chinese in Mali that were like basic labors, like how the Latinos here in California, right? Like these are in in Mali. And so I didn't look like anything too different. So um, I didn't get stopped. Yeah, not threatening. Um, But, uh, you know, when they were stopping me and those kids had those red eyes and they had their guns and it was, I was like, oh my God. You know, and, and and not speaking the language, it was just really scary. And they were shooting. You know. Um,
2: How many days were you stuck before you could get out of the country?
1: About ten days. So the the there was an embargo of um, gasoline. Uh, yeah, oil, gasoline, and then they closed the airport as well. Um, but then once it first opened, I got a flight to D.C. and then from D.C. back to Cali. Um, so the embassy, you know, the U.S. embassy is really, um, yeah, is on top of it. And uh, thankfully, and uh, and freedom from hunger as well were, were there.
2: I'm just very curious, Jessica, because I think this could be impactful for a lot. How did you cope with and manage the PTSD?
1: Yeah, so... Yeah, after this, you know, I basically got triggered each time I went to the office. There was something linked with freedom from hunger. So, you know, at that stage then, um, and I couldn't sleep. I uh, was hearing so gunshots, you know, without nothing, you know, I was just tripping. Like, I'm assuming it's kind of like how you're on drugs. You're hearing and seeing things, but, you know, you're not taking anything. It's just in the brain. Um, so I followed, uh, you know, I had both ways where I was already a yoga um, student. I've been practicing yoga and, since 2000. And you're so, also a
2: certified teacher. So,
1: so that's when I went. Yeah, I certified. Yeah, it really helped me to be in my body and feel the knots and releasing that. So so the yoga helped me. And then I was following, so therapy. Um and, um, had a mix of, uh, medication, but I really insisted on having a lower dose that would go down. So, um, following that, and then I was taking some herbs. So I followed also Chinese herbs to really rebalance my hormones. And then, um, I mean, yoga and meditation really helped me. That was, you know, when the trigger would come, I would, um, well, it took me a time, right? The trigger would come, I would freak out. So, you know, I would freak out for a little bit. The medication helped in that way to help me not be anxious and, and really just, and and then the practice of yoga going through um, uh, that place. So obviously removing the trigger. So um, I stopped from working at freedom from hunger and just, you know, gave myself some time to myself Um went home, went to the beach, you know, and then and then follow the yoga training um, to be a teacher. And that's when also I painted. That's, you know, the wow. time where I really started painting and just expressing all of ne- what needed to come out. That's um, yeah. Yes. Thank you
2: so much for sharing that story. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. It certainly is very moving for me, um, uh, that share. and. Um, yeah yeah uh, thanks for the willingness to be vulnerable also i just want to acknowledge that that that's that's, it takes courage so thank you
1: yeah thanks no it's 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 you know and, and when i think about it and it took me a while because even i would get triggered like if i was watching a movie like i couldn't watch black diamond or any um of those it was triggering um just seeing I mean the visual, right? Like um, of Africans wearing guns, shooting, right? That was something. And it took me a while. And then now I can see, I can hear gunshots. It doesn't um, come back to that memory, but it's still, it will still, you know, I will feel a little anxious, it's but true. it, I think that's going to go through time, but knowing how to react. Though, it's amazing know? what you've
2: been through, Jessica. Um, <laughs> really hats off to you. It's, uh... Yeah,
1: yeah. And again, I have to give my, um, you know, really, um, love to my family and to all those that helped me, my yoga teacher, my therapist, um, my colleagues at freedom from hunger and, and everyone during that journey to really embracing, where I was and, and because I really thought something was wrong with me. Yeah. Well,
2: to, to, to switch gears a little bit, um, from there, you went into the wine trade, including having a vineyard and your own label. And uh, I would right. love to say that that was a pursuit of a passion project, but I'll confess, I might be projecting.
1: <laughs> no, I think, it, I, so that was my first angel investment um, that I did. Nice. And I, um, that was actually from a, a close friend of mine from college who is in the wine space, uh, Diego Barisan, And he's, um, they have vineyards in Italy in Piedmont, um, it's close to the Barolo region. And, um, he's, you know, I've, I've known him for a really long time and, um, he was pitching me on an acquisition of a winery. And uh, I was like, right off the PTSD, right? And (laughs) yes, I want to do something for me. And it's, you know, touching the earth, like going, you know, it really, really caught me. Bought the winery.
2: Where was the winery based?
1: In Davis, um, called Poudre Creek Winery. Um, So it was the the name and then um, the lease of the vineyard and then um and then from there we expanded you know we um to reaching out two other brands one that was focused on italian varietals and one that was french varietals and named Gauguin after uh paul Gauguin. Very uh nice. the muses of uh yeah so goguines are uh the muses that paul Gauguin was drawing basically yeah, the, I mean
2: the figures that we often right. see in his works yeah what were the varietals that you were creating
1: yeah so um, we had about like I think 12 varietals so for Poudre Creek we had Tanat, Cabernet Sauvignon Cabernet uh, Franc we were doing like a Bordeaux blend um, Chardonnay Sauvignon Blanc um, we had a little bit of Muscat as well
0: um, oh, dessert yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh the pescado, that was so good. Um and we made like a light harvest of uh, viognier as well, so um and viognier, so that was nice. Um, so a little sweeter, um, or more aromatic, more fruitful. Um and uh Gaulle, uh Barbera, Sangiovese, so the Italians Very uh nice. varietals, um yeah, the San Sangiovese was um, was a nice, like, table wine. Um, Syrah, so more like the GSM, so Grenache, Syrah, Mont um, We got some awards from the San Francisco Chronicle uh, competition in a wine. Got gold, browns, uh, silver. Um, got gold from the uh, California State. We opened up a tasting room in Davis, California. Yes. Um, in well, the also- downtown.
2: You also did some studying you uh, attended the court of master sommelier
1: right yeah so really got into it right like i'm passionate so i will bridge that gap of education right and, and get get especially if i'm going to be uh teaching others you know in the tasting room and then um the the wine club members or others how to enhance it. it's it's good to learn from the tops right so you know chef sommel- master sommeliers teaching you even how to know if this vintage was what kind of varietals. And then um, if they touch barrel, how old, which region, you know, so you could really have that from not only the aroma, but also from the taste.
2: Well, uh, and are you still involved with uh, the organization?
1: So we closed actually in um, 2018. And and then I had to go back home. Uh, My grandma actually got... um, diagnosed with dementia she's she's uh pretty deep in it so i wanted to be home and be closer to her because she's like my second mom right um
2: of course no and
1: um where our revenue was uh, being more fruitful was from a direct to consumer so from the tasting room and the hotels the hotel where we had our tasting room got sold for uh hilton and the lease wasn't um negotiated uh, during the purchase. So the new owner then rose the lease for like times three, basically Uh, you had to make a decision in early 2018 to, to close out. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's never easy to make a decision to close a business. Um, no
1: no yeah and it's like a divorce also you know because like it's with partners we all have different ways of how we should do it
2: but I didn't want you to spend a few minutes talking about the um, uh, Chinese cultural center of San Francisco and your board participation there
1: yeah no so uh, I joined the Chinese um, culture center um as a board member last year and it's one of the oldest philanthropical chinese um organization that focuses on art uh, within the community and really tries to bridge aims at bridging the gap uh, between um, artists and the community uh, but also amplifying inclusion uh, within education uh, with an outreach uh, within the community, you know, fighting the discrimination. I mean, really, like we had one of our staff, unfortunately, and she, um, re- you know, shared her interview to the Wall Street Journal. Got spit on by someone in San oh, Francisco.
2: That's really shocking. yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And,
1: and the person, it, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible to see that it's. Di- I mean, it, it's happening because of fear, and it's happening, and and we're not able to see each other, you know, but through art, people can really see objectively beauty. It can be a starter of a conversation. Um, It can really go back um, or enliven a community. So right now we have a project where uh, we're gonna have street art to just bring back more, especially in Chinatown because of what's going on. I mean, when the lockdown is gonna be done, but visual art really to bring back not just traffic, but embracement within the community. So, that's um, yeah, I'm
2: a big art lover, as you know, all the locations in the world, some of the most inventive, um, creative and thought provoking art is coming out of Beijing. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. You have been so candid, so sincere, so vulnerable. It, um, I really appreciate that. It's going to resonate with everyone listening. It certainly has resonated with me.
1: I'm I'm glad to be here. Mm -hmm.
0: Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.